remember, I was gone last week. I had an opportunity to do a wedding for a young couple that uh, are not a part of our church, but uh, young people that I've had a a chance to minister to uh, through my time at uh, James Valley. And so it was a part of their wedding last weekend and went to um, a friend's church down in Brandon. And actually, it's kind of an interesting story because a young man that I went to college with uh, wrote a book called Hunted and Called, um, really profound book about his testimony, his story, and how God is using him. And he was actually interviewed in Brandon last Sunday when I was there. So I got to be a part of that service. So that was pretty cool. I uh, felt like God set that up um, for a couple of different reasons. And one, we're going to have him in our service in November, and he's going to share his story, his testimony, and uh, we'll make that book available for those of you that maybe connect with his story and where he is. And so I love the way God works in our lives sometimes through um, what seems like just randomness. I don't know, maybe God's not random in your life, but uh, he sometimes is random in my life. And, you know, we just finished up our series on Revelation, and we're going to be starting a new series probably next week. Uh, I've, I've called it the Perfect Series. The perfect series, yeah. Not because I think it's going to be perfect, but we're going to talk about what it means to have the perfect life, to be the perfect Christian, perfect marriage, perfect kids, um, perfect Christmas, perfect storm. There's going to be a lot of perfect we talk about starting next week, and uh, maybe what the Bible means by perfect doesn't really match sometimes what we think of perfect, and so we'll get into that. But today I want to share just some thoughts with you that I've called words to live by words to live by. And this actually started um, earlier this this year. I just felt like the Lord, I don't know if it's my age um, or, you know, just kind of what's going on in my life, but I started looking back over my life and just the random ways God has worked. Uh, my story of how I got to Trinity Bible College is one of the most random stories. Uh, I wanted to share it today, but I don't feel like I have time. So I'm not going to share it. But uh, if you ever want to hear it, let's have a cup of coffee and I'll, I'll tell you that story. But, you know, there's a lot of coincidences that happened to get me there. And uh, throughout my life, I just feel like there's just been these random coincidences that have happened that just kind of got me everywhere. Uh, even the conversation I was having with our dean of students at Trinity at the time, that at the end of that conversation, he prayed with me. I had asked some questions. I needed some advice. And uh, at the end of the conversation, he said, hey, what, what are you doing now that you're graduated? We're just going to stay at Trinity. I have a good job. Um, Christy's going to finish school, and uh, then we'll look for a place next year. He said, well, my brother in Huron needs a youth pastor. You should call him. Random coincidence. And here I am 24 later, years later, still in Huron. Um, he's not <laughs> that the pastor that we came under, but uh, just how do you know that God is at work in your life? How do you know that it's not just me following some random coincidence? Or uh, And I've just traced that story back through life, and uh, I've made some good choices in my life. I've made some really bad choices in my life, and I've made some unknown choices. Like, I'm still wondering, was that the right choice or not? I mean, I, I don't know. It's, because we, we sometimes have this idea that if I make the right choice, the God-led choice— um, like the heavens are going to open and like sun is going to shine and it's going to be all like, well, I'm going to know it's God's will. But sometimes God's will is a crushing. And sometimes it's, you know, the crushing is because we're going against God's will. Like Jonah, you know, you get swallowed by a whale. Um, so how do you know when it's the Lord's crushing and when you're running away? 
And those aren't easy questions to answer. And so as I've looked back at my life, I've started to think about the people that have had a role in my life and uh, praying old ladies, older ladies, I should say, praying older ladies in my church growing up. Some of them that prayed for me knew I was called to ministry before I did. Um, We'll be forever grateful to them. Never on this side of eternity have I ever thanked them. Because, you know, as a young kid, you're just arrogant, and you don't um, really pay attention to the older people that tell you things. Because we know everything as young people. But so grateful that God even can work amidst our arrogance. He can. I know he opposes the proud. I'm going to tell you that in a second. But, man, God is always at work in our lives. And the first verse I want to share with you comes from Philippians chapter 1. Verse 6, it says, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. It's the promise of Christ in me. All of my bad decisions, all of my bad choices, all of the things done to me, all of the things that I'm confused about, all of the coincidences, all of the unknowns, he's at work. And he is committed to finishing that work. Now, sometimes he had a better route in, in mind, um, but he also knew that, that we were going to have to take the long way. How many, of you, how many of you have had to take the long way? Yeah, I know. But he really would like us to take the quick route. He'd really like us to just allow the crushing and, uh, and follow it, but um, he's committed to work in us and through us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, I love this verse, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. All things he works for the good. Not all things are good. Please do not get confused. Can you see that up there? All things, it doesn't say all things are good. He works all things for good. The crushing is good. That annoying person that you keep trying to correct in your life might be there to help correct you. That situation you find yourself at work in and you just keep wondering, why do we have to do things this way? I don't understand why we have to do things this way. Well, maybe they're doing them that way by the Lord's direction because you have to deal with your complaining and critical attitude that you're not dealing with. That's a good word, Pastor Tom. Yeah, I know. And so when I talk about words to live by, I'm going to give you four words that I have all my life tried to live by. Um, do I do it, do it right all the time? No. None of us do. But these are words I always come back to. And uh, I have the opportunity. I'd cover your prayers on Tuesday. I have an opportunity to, to speak at uh, Trinity Bible College on Tuesday. So, again, the voice thing could be really helpful. Um, and as I, th- I thought about what to share with students, um, I had the opportunity to speak in chapel at James Valley a few weeks ago, and I shared some of these same thoughts with them. I'm going to share some of them with them on Tuesday. And I thought I would just share them with you. These are not going to be things that you've never heard before from me. In fact, they're probably going to be things you hear a lot from me because these are words I try to live by. And so as a pastor, these are words our church has to live by because that's who I am. And as the pastor of this church, that's going to come out in how I lead, in the decisions I make. And at some point, if you felt like the Lord is leading this church in a direction different than who I am, then we would part ways. And that is an okay thing in the scripture. If you remember 
Barnabas and Paul worked together really well, and then one day they parted ways, okay? And the Bible doesn't say Barnabas was wrong, Paul was wrong. We don't know what it, who was wrong. We don't know if anyone was wrong. We just know they parted ways. And the Lord blessed both of their ministries moving forward. And so, don't worry, I don't plan to go anywhere. And I don't think our leaders disagree with these four words I'm going to share with you. So, this is words to live by. The first one is humble. Humble. That is a tough word. But it's Jesus' word in Philippians chapter 2. One of my favorite passages talks about the Lord. And it says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. That's what it means to be humble. The same attitude Christ Jesus had, that's what it means to be humble. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Verse 7, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. That's being humble. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. He was willing to be crushed. That's humility, is the willingness to be crushed, the willingness to take the blame, the willingness to take a shot, if you will. Well, how do we know when we're being a doormat, and how do we know when we're actually supposed to allow that to happen? Well, you got to walk with the Lord, and you got to learn to hear his voice, and you got to recognize who you are in Christ. What I know is three times in the New Testament, these verses aren't on the screen, but in James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, and Luke 1, 52, we get the phrase, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You might be right, and you might want to get the last word, and you might just want to <clears throat> say that thing to give someone a piece of your mind, but just understand that if you do it with a proud heart, you do it because you want to be right, God's opposed to that. But if you humble yourself, you invite the grace of God into that situation. So giving someone a piece of your mind to try to get them to change their attitude might actually worsen their attitude, but giving them a soft answer that turns away wrath invites the grace of God into their life in a way that actually might change them as it changes you. That's the point of humility. It's not about you or I just being a doormat for other people. It's about recognizing that in the kingdom of God, God operates through crushing. That when we lay down our lives for others, that God uses that. We no longer live in a society where any of us want to be teachable. We don't like to admit we're wrong. We don't like to admit our, our mistakes. We want to question everything. I don't understand why we have to do this. Well, you don't have to understand it to do it. If someone else is in charge, it's okay for you to just do it quietly. If your, your kid's teacher, I don't care if you have a master's in education, if your kid's teacher chooses to do it a different way and it's not harming your child, I know we think everything harms our children these days and we don't want to squelch their um, creativity, but sometimes we need to actually put boundaries on their lives according to the scripture so they don't just run rampant and become disrespectful, which is where our culture is today. But we'll get to that. Man, you can make a lot of profound mic drop statements in a soft voice, and it just sounds really good. Maybe God, like, gave me a soft voice for this message today for a good reason. <laughs> but we don't like to admit we're wrong. But in the kingdom, weakness is strength. 
I mean, if, if we don't embrace weakness, then we don't know the strength of the Lord. And so the, the stronger we try to appear, sometimes we're actually fighting against God. The key to this is knowing who we are in Christ. It's understood, because this is exactly how Jesus lived. He laid down his privileges. He laid down his rights. Okay, he did not need to prove himself to anyone. But look at John nineteen eleven. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Talking to Pilate, Jesus understood. Pilate's like trying to threaten him. And I have the power to kill you. And Jesus is like, you actually would have no power over me if it wasn't given to you from above. So it's okay. If you kill me, it's okay. Because that power to kill me came from above. My life's in his hands. How many of us live our lives that way? I mean, we don't even like to give up our place in line. When we're driving. John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said it this way. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also take it up again. This is what my father has commanded. I can lay it down. See, I'm not anyone's doormat. I can at any moment pick my life back up again. But I choose to lay my life down. And I choose not to say every word that comes into my mind thinking that I have all the right answers, that everything is as black and white as I want it to be. Again, do I live this way perfectly? Nope. But this is what I always come back to because this is what my Savior modeled for me. The towel is mightier than the sword. I know there's a time for a sword. There's a time for discipline. There's a time the sword has been given to governments and authorities in our world. But can I tell you, fear is a terrible motivator. It's terrible. Sometimes it's the only motivator, and we have to use it. The fear of punishment has to be used. There's a time when children are young that they have to be, you know, you just, why? Because I said so. Because I'm your parent. That's just, that's okay at some season of life. But, you know, kids question things a lot, don't they? Why? Why? Why do we have to do this? Why? I don't understand. Why? 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 We're supposed to grow out of that phase at some point. But we like to use the sword because we think that that's going to get the job done. But the towel doesn't just get the physical job done. It gets the spiritual job done. When Jesus laid down his life, he triumphed over all of his enemies. It didn't look like it physically, but he disarmed every power and principality. That's spiritual power. And some of you are trying to use the sword to change your spouse or your kids or your work or your circumstances. And if you'd use a towel, you'd actually fight the spiritual battle that's taking place first, and then that would make the physical battle easier. Again, don't misunderstand. There's, al- there's always a time for a sword. I can't say that there isn't. But in John chapter 13, Jesus, in one of the, the most powerful moments, the night that he was betrayed by Judas, it says this in verse 3. I love John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Wow. That is, I mean, authority over everything. The time had come from God that he would, he had come from God, excuse me, and that he would return to God. So he's been given authority over everything. He knows he's come from God. He knows he's going to return to God. He, identity secure, 
all power is his. So what's he do? So he got up from the table, took off his robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. That's the, one of the strongest statements in the scripture. See, in the church, we love to shout to the world from our porches and from our churches what's wrong. Maybe we need to use, start using a towel. Maybe we need to start using a towel. I had a, a Facebook acquaintance that probably will not watch this sermon today, and if they do, they'll maybe call me, that's having a pride a pride event in their community this week, disgusted by it. Some of their friends say, oh, you ought to get out of town that day. And in my head, I'm thinking, how could we take a towel to that event? Not so they think that lifestyle is not sinful, but so that we can disarm the principalities and powers that are at work so they actually have a chance to understand because they've been blinded by the God of this age. See, shouting from our porches in our churches is not going to convince anybody of anything. But if we actually start serving some people, that might. So humble. Number two, we have to keep moving because I got four, remember? The second word is honor. Um, 1 Peter 2.17 is pretty clear. Honor everyone. Wow, there it is right there. We don't even need to go further. Honor is about the value I place on someone because of how I behave toward them, how I talk about them, how I talk towards them. And it has absolutely nothing to do with how I feel about them because I can honor people that I actually feel like punching. (laughs) Let's just be honest. Sometimes we feel like slapping someone. But I can honor them still. I can choose honor. It doesn't matter how they're behaving. Like, they can be behaving dishonorably, and I can still choose to honor them because, one, I've been commanded to by God. It's right there in his word. And if I say I'm submitted to him and I'm being dishonorable towards people, I'm not really submitted to God, period. Second, it's because of how he's treated me. While I was his enemy, Christ died for me. While I deserved dishonor, he honored me. That's how he rolls. That's the kingdom. And that's how people's lives get transformed. We demonstrate honor. When I understand that there is no person in my life, no matter how frustrating they are, no matter how rude they are, no matter how mean they are, no matter how foolish they are, there is not one human being in my life that needs me to give them more grace than I have already been given from Almighty. Then I understand. And so I give what I have been given. Not because I just want to, like, pretend that they don't have anything that... Is there a time to correct people? Yeah. And that correction will go a whole lot better if you've learned to be humble before them and you've honored them. And you try to correct them without that, let me know how that goes. 47 years on this earth, it doesn't go well. But I'm right. Okay, you're right. I don't want to be right anymore. I want people in the kingdom. And the way to do that is through honor. Jesus told us to love our enemies. You can't love them if you're not honoring them. 
Scripture tells us over and over, consider others over ourselves. When we did some training for Royal Family Kids Camp back in the day, this is really where this clicked for me in a huge way. Because we learn how to deal with young children who have been the victims maybe of abuse and trauma in their lives and maybe why they act some of the ways they act and how to, how to cope with that. And then it just dawned on me one day, like, what if some of the people in my life that are just frustrating and maybe just never have learned? Maybe they're carrying all kinds of baggage and trauma that if I would just take a moment and treat them with honor, maybe that actually would be the help to the situation. And I wish I could tell you that, that from that day forward has been the easiest decision of my life. Uh, but that's hard. It is really hard. But knowing who we are in Christ helps. How can I change my life in order to impact others? When Peter said love covers a multitude of sins, he's not saying that we should hide other people's sins or pretend people's sins don't exist. But covering a multitude of sins means I focus more on me than them. What can I do to help them be able to grow or change? What privilege or right could I maybe lay down? What word maybe do I need to say that would be a, a soft word or a kind word that would actually bring about life and hope in them? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 41, Jesus says kind of an obscure verse that sometimes we don't understand. Those who receive a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and those who receive a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Here's the thing. Prophets, people in ministry, pastors, evangelists, can I tell you, can I let you in on a little secret? There's not a one of them that's perfect. Nope, not one. You're going to have ones you like more than others. You're going to have some that rub you the wrong way. And your ability to receive from them has more to do with you than it does them. Because if you honor them, flaws and all, as a, a pastor, a teacher, a gift of God, because that's what they're called, he has given gifts to the church, the pastor, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, and the evangelist. He doesn't say he has given these perfect gifts. Uh, maybe that'll be a part of the series. But if you receive them well, you'll be able to receive from them. I've noticed over the years that when people get offended at a pastor or a teacher, they no longer can hear or receive from them. And it really doesn't have much to do with the person in the front as much as it does the person in the seat. And not just our church. I mean, I'm, I'm tell, people tell me all the time, well, my pastor, you should... Don't ever start a phrase with my pastor because <laughs> you and I are not going to see that the same way because your pastor, your pastor is a gift. And if you're watching this instead of your pastor, stop it. They're a gift and they're not perfect. If I receive a righteous person, I mean, you can meet a Christian and be like, oh, you can see their five flaws and you can, but if you receive them in the right way, Flaws and all, you can actually bring breakthrough in your life and in their life. A lot of times we focus on the five things that that other person did wrong and not the one thing that I'm doing wrong. Well, but the, only, the one thing I did wrong was because of their five things. Well, no. That's what we like to think, 
but the one thing I did wrong was a result of my own character, not the result of their five wrong things. So I need to fix me. And maybe fixing me helps them deal with their five things. Uh, These words are brilliant, and they're not mine. Okay, this is stuff I have gleaned from people way smarter than me through the years. I've just picked it up, and I've been like, yeah. And one last one is just respect for elders. Man, we have lost respect for elders in our culture. Um, You know, we in the church, we believe in the value of the life in the womb. I wouldn't disagree, but we just don't have value for the life in the White House. And we ought to value both. You can disagree with people, but in an honorable way. Okay? Showing value for the life of that person. When we mock the current president as like senile and we just, we, we make fun of things, we're far from the kingdom. That's not how God works. Okay? We can disagree and we should disagree with policy. Absolutely should. Uh, there's a right and a wrong on some of these policies. But in our culture, we, we've kind of gotten to the place where we, we no longer like to call people Mr. and Mrs. And some of it's because we don't like to feel old. So we're like, oh, don't call me Mr. Brantner. Just call me Tom. I get it. But here's the thing. As someone who works with students all the time, uh, I love working with students. Uh, they're the future. They're frustrating. But they should be because they're trying to figure it out. Um, I'm not their buddy. I'm not their pal. I want them to like me, but I really want them to grow. And they need to see me as someone that is not on the same plane as them, but someone that they can look up to, which means I have to actually act like someone they can look up to. So I know that we once had a culture where we demanded respect, and now we've gone to the opposite where we just don't give anyone respect. But having your, your kids call someone Mr. or Mrs. or Sir or Ma'am is actually a good thing. Uh, it teaches them respect, honor, okay? And if you're older and you're like amening on the inside right now, but because the room's quiet, because of my voice, <laughs> you don't have to demand it, but live in an honorable way and model it for them. I actually at sometimes refer to students as Mr. or Miss and use their last name. Because I have to remember, as an adult, to honor them. Because sometimes we can start acting dishonorable, especially in a classroom setting, because the students are acting dishonorable. But if I start choosing to act the way they're acting, I've lowered myself. And I should never do that. I should live up here and let them come up to that. So I think we need to change that in our generation. But that could just be me. The third word is constant. Constant. One of my favorite verses is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, constant, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's something about just showing up day after day, after day, after day. Loyalty. Again, not much of a thing in our culture today. We're not loyal to a business. We're not loyal. Like, if I don't like a business anymore, I just pick a different one. 
so many options, choices. We're not loyal to a church or a denomination like we used to be. I mean, years ago, you, you grew up in a denomination. You just stayed in that denomination. And in some ways, that's not a bad thing. Um, but the idea that when stuff gets hard, I just kind of, you know, find something easier. I don't work through the difficulties or differences. You know, I just change marriages, change jobs, change cities, change this, and I no longer try to grow. Um, I'll tell the students at Trinity Bible College something about being in a place 24 years and the benefit of that, the challenge of that. And some people are in ministry for 30 years, but they move every three. And so they'll say things like, well, I have 30 years of ministry experience, and I would argue with that. You've got three years of ministry experience that you've repeated 10 times. I'm not saying that there's never time to move, but sometimes you grow by staying a long time. At the same time, you can stay a long time and stagnate. You got to make sure you're continuing to grow, continuing to have people speak into your life. That's important. In our world today, or back in the day, to be a regular church attender, you attended about three or four times a month. Statistically now, to be a regular church attender, you attend once a month. Just the idea of showing up week after week. Well, I've got four, three or four different churches I attend, and I just kind of move around. But it's not about you. It's about what you're supposed to bring to other people. And it is about you and the way you're supposed to grow. And if you don't stay in the same room with the same people that maybe sometimes rub you the wrong way and irritate you, you're not going to grow. If you just keep jumping into easy situations, <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Growth comes through crushing. So the idea of giving our best day after day, not just because I understand the value of it. I don't have to understand it to give my best to it. Or if I disagree with it, well, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do that well because I don't understand it. It's frustrating at times as someone who leads ministries where volunteers, it's just hard to find volunteers and find committed volunteers that will show up week after week, be willing to be on a schedule. I'll show, you know, Pastor, I'll, I'll let you know when I can serve. Well, that doesn't really work because I got to have four people down here every week in order to make this happen. And I used to say, would you show up to work like that? Would you just, you know, show up late or just randomly? But you can't really say that anymore because that's how people show up for work. I mean, people can't even get people to come to work anymore. This is the problem in our society. And rather than preach it from the how everyone needs to change and we've had this terrible work ethic, we just need to live more constant. Just showing up. Just being there. Modeling that attitude over and over. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus says these words, if we, if we are faithful in little, we will be faithful in much. In fact, Jesus says, if you're faithful with little, I'll give you more. That's a kingdom thing. And I can take responsibility for that. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, changes everything. Because Cornelius, who's a Gentile, receives the Holy Spirit, and then salvation is no longer just for the Jews. It's for everybody. You and I are here today because of Cornelius. And here's a guy who's not a Jew, and in Acts chapter 10, it says about him, he prayed and he gave gifts to the poor regularly. And he did this regularly. 
Like he did this day after day after day after day after day. Uh, for how long? I don't know. It, he's a Roman centurion. It's, you know, he's, it's a significant amount of years. He's got a great testimony among the people. And Peter comes to his house. And the, the reason I love it is because he had to do this every day for a long time. And then because of that faithfulness, one day, one day he had a vision. One day everything changed. And if you will be faithful every day, you'll experience one days. But I believe a lot of people are missing their one days because they're not faithful every day. We treat days as common. Well, I don't have to. I mean, we act one way on Sunday and then another way the rest of the week. If we just start showing up day after day, faithfulness, obedience. And yeah, we're not going to do it perfect, but we're going to get back on the rails. Nope, I'm going to get back on here. Because here's what I found. God can take our meager efforts and he can multiply it. I want to share two stories really quick. But there's a young man just in the, within the last year who has been in and out of my life in Huron for a good part of 15 or 16 years. And I, I know of him. We've had some conversations. We interact on social media some. And he made a statement to me about a year ago that was rather profound because he said he reached out to me in a time of need. And in that time, he said, you've always been like a second father to me. And in my head, I'm thinking, I've been nothing like a father to you. Like, I have really done the bare minimum. Like, I've not done anything special. In fact, if I would grade myself, ugh, maybe a D minus, and that's being generous. And yet somehow, God took those meager efforts, and he used it in his time of need to reach out to me. And it's not about how well I did. It's about the grace of God and just showing up day after day after day after day. When I was in high school, um, I was really wishy-washy at best. You know, lived for the Lord some, also lived in the world some, back and forth. But there were seasons where I would carry a Bible to school, and that was a big deal back in the day. I went to public high school, and you carry your Bible on top of your books, and it feels like it's like, I mean, it was probably more this size, <laughs> probably a Gideon New Testament tucked away, but it felt like I was carrying like the King James, like Dick Schofield Bible or whatever that's called. And it was just huge, but it wasn't. And so, I, I mean, I, I was not a witness. I don't, I never led anyone to the Lord. I, you know, I probably, I had a, a mouth like a sailor. There were times where it just took a while to clean up my mouth. Some people would still wonder today, but uh, at least I don't cuss. Oh, stay on track. So, but anyway, Years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I had a, a classmate reach out to me and just talk about the way I impacted him, carrying a Bible, um, the ways I prayed before my meal at lunch, just little things, and how that spoke to him and where he is in his life right now and how God is using, like, my example in his life. Like, dude, I was like the worst Christian ever. So here's the thing. Just show up every day. Just keep doing it day after day, the right thing, because it's about constancy, not perfection. Just being constant. And the last one is the word persevere. Persevere. Because honestly, these three words are overwhelming. If you try to be humble, honor, and be constant, like literally you can feel like 
oh my goodness, that is like the tallest order ever, and it is. Thankfully, we have the help of the Holy Spirit, so it's possible to live this way. But also, it's not about our perfection. It's just about not quitting. Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's pretty simple. You just keep showing up day after day after day. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that we run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us because we know God is faithful to finish what he started. I don't have to finish what he started. I just have to not quit on it. He won't quit on it. I need to not quit on it. In your life, you're going to have people that you're going to be tempted to give up on. Before you give up on them, ask yourself this question. Has God given up on them? Let me answer that for you. No. Thank God he never does. And I know it's frustrating, and I know there's a thing as such as tough love. Just don't give up. There's going to be circumstances that you're tempted to walk away from, and sometimes there is a time to change. There's a time to change jobs. There's a time to change cities. There's a time. Not as often, I would think, as we do these days. Most of us don't know what it is to put down roots and to just dig. Because anytime it gets hard, we walk away. Just stick with it. So before you walk away, really pray about it. And ask some people that you think might give you an answer you don't want to hear. Ask them to pray for you. I've had people at times ask me to pray. They're trying to decide whether to leave here on area. And honestly, I don't want, I'm like, Lord, don't let them leave the Huron area. But I'll pray with you, and I'll tell you the truth. And at the end of the day, we've had people leave our church that have asked me what I thought, what the Lord was directing them to do, and did I think this was right? And in my mind, I'm like, I want to tell them, no, you need to stay here. But you know what? If the Lord is asking you to leave, who am I to tell you to stay here? Like, you're going to still be in the kingdom? Praise the Lord. I want everyone here. In fact, I'd like to get them from other churches too, but they need to be where they are. Okay, so it's about just sticking through it. So these four words, words to live by, humble, honor, constant, persevere. In the Proverbs, it talks about a righteous man that falls six times, but he rises the seventh time. It's really not about how perfectly we do these words. It's just that we keep coming back to them. So like Peter, when he wrote his letter to the, the New Test, in the New Testament, he said, it, I, it, it's good that I remind you of these things. You know, I had a busy week, state cross country yesterday, busy weekend. Maybe it was just easy to take a sermon that I was putting together. It's not really easy to preach the same sermon in three different places because you really have to tweak it. But maybe it was just an easy way out. Or maybe I just needed to go over these words again to remind us as a church, this is who we are. This is what we've got to keep coming back to. We're going to start on our new series next week, the perfect series. We're going to wrestle with a lot of tough issues, I think. But my prayer is that we're a church that brings the kingdom everywhere we go. 
And if we carry these four words with us everywhere we go, we'll bring the kingdom. And it may not come as fast as you want in your home, at your work, in your neighborhood, but it'll come because these are kingdom pillars, I think. And so I think they're good words to live by. Heavenly Father, thank you for that promise. God, that you are going to be faithful to finish the work that you started in our lives. Thank you for the work you're doing in the life of everyone in this room. Some that may be here today that yet aren't in relationship with you. Holy Spirit, move on their hearts today. Bring them to that place of surrender, that place of understanding. For those watching online, for those of us here, God, that maybe need to surrender something more or new today. Holy Spirit, show us how to apply these words to our lives throughout this week ahead. Bring them back to our minds. Tattoo them on our hearts so that everywhere we go, kingdom comes. So Holy Spirit, again, help us to be willing to be crushed, knowing you can be trusted, knowing that you're making new wine out of that for others to drink. Thank you for the ways you've ministered to us today. Thank you for the grace you're giving us even now. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, well, thank you for attending the fireside chat today with Pastor Tom. <laughs> Some of you are like, what does he mean by fireside chat? I wasn't alive for those, but I know about them. But uh, if you don't, ask someone older than you. They'll be able to tell you about them. So before you leave, make sure you stop by the table in the back. Information back there. If you're in the room, and I prayed about it, but if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk to you about that before you leave today. I'll be over here on my left, your right. If you want to stop over there before you exit today, love the opportunity to visit with you. If you haven't been prayed for yet, and you want someone to agree with you in prayer for anything, we'll be available after the service. Would love that opportunity as well. When you're ready to go, take a moment, greet some people around you, and then when you're ready to go, go ahead and be dismissed. God bless you as you go today.